I don't have a bleep button, unfortunately, but um, hi, I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. Now, if you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast where we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and in essence, catch up on our cinema. Uh, so it is the month of May 2023, as once again, that very special time of the month where we do our very special Tales from the Shelf episode. Uh, and in joining me in this endeavor, I have my good buddy Brad from the Cinema Speak podcast. How's it going, Brad? It's going great. Uh, glad to be here. Glad to be back uh, talking Blu-rays, which is always a passion of mine. So thanks. Uh, thanks once again for uh, collaborating on another month. Oh, yeah. No, it, it's always it's always awesome to have you on the show, Brad. It, it certainly beats the hell out of uh, talking to yourself uh, with yourself about your absurdly massive movie collection, whatnot. Um, so, uh, dear listeners and hopefully viewers, um, if you're not familiar with the show format, a uh, Tales from the Shelf uh, episode uh, is basically an excuse uh, for Brad and I to talk about our respective film collections, our physical media collections. So that would be DVDs, Blu-rays, and 4Ks with an, F with an emphasis on the Blu-ray and the 4K. Brad has an aversion to the DVD format. It makes him vomit. Uh, <laughs> no joke. Um, so yeah, basically each month uh, we choose a theme uh, to talk about, uh, to just explore a certain facet of our collections. Uh, so this month, I'm actually uh, titling this the same as a, a previous event month on the Catching Up on Cinema podcast because I was lazy. Uh, I do, in fact, have a day job uh, and I wanted to recycle an old graphic. <laughs> um, so this time we're doing the Tales from the Shelf version of May is for Monsters. Uh, so this month we're going to be talking about monster movies uh, and just just for funsies. I'm just going to pull up the Oxford Dictionary definition of the word monster uh, just to serve as a guideline because it's Keep kind it of official. A, yeah, it's a broad it's a broad term. It means many things to many different people. But according to the Googles and the Oxford Dictionary, an imaginary creature that is typically large, ugly and frightening. That is a very specific definition, actually, uh, the imaginary part of it. Uh, I mean, uh, an inhumanly cruel or wicked person. Okay, so I guess you could swing that. Uh, I I'm pretty sure I didn't set aside any movies that would use that definition of the word mm -hmm. monster. Um, this one <laughs> filed under often humorous, a person, typically a child who is rude or badly behaved. That's kind of messed up. So uh, we could problem child could be a potential. Uh, sh should I have grabbed my problem child Blu-ray? Is that what we're saying here? I mean, according uh, the chart says, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that that ginger kid, he was a monster uh, to John Ritter and many other people. Um, was was Christopher Lloyd in that first one? I can't remember. Boy, you're gonna have to ask somebody who actually watched the Blu-ray that they own. I would um, love for somebody to be able to tell me the cultural, the size of the cultural footprint of problem child not specifically like mischievous children films because that was a whole thing like especially in the post home alone era but specifically problem child because i like in my mind it's this outsized entity where it's like there were two movies and a cartoon and because because my child brain would like stretch the length of things like in my mind it's like oh problem child took over the world for like 10 years it's like no, Trevor, it was five minutes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> your child, your dumb child brain just stretched it out. Um, yeah. 
but moving on a thing or animal that is excessively or dauntingly large. I'm 100% certain we will have a few of those uh, in today's discussion uh, between both Brad and I's collection. Uh, and a congenitally malformed or mutant animal or plant. I'm not sure about the congenital part. As far as I understand, that refers to born that way. Um, okay. But so, for instance, like the bear from Prophecy, I believe that was mutated via toxic waste or something. So according to mm -hmm. this definition, that wouldn't work. But that's what the Internet has to say about the word monster. But before we get uh, to the discussion proper, wherein I will most certainly toss Brad directly under the bus and ask that he share his picks first. Um, Brad, uh, we are halfway to Black Friday, uh, which means there's a certain sale going on at a certain uh, Blu-ray and 4K distributor. Uh, would you care to uh, give us the give us the scoop, give us the hot news on what's going on uh, in the Blu-ray and 4K world today? Yeah, it's the Vinegar Syndrome's uh, big weekend. They're halfway to Black Friday sale. Um, so if you don't know, Vinegar Syndrome... They've kind of changed this a little bit, but generally they have two big sales every year. Their Black Friday sale and their halfway to Black Friday sale where um, nearly all of their releases are 50% off, uh, excluding anything that's been released in the last six months. But, you know, it's kind of like the Criterion sales in a way where you just, you know, you wait all year and you just save your picks and then you just have a big, big old purchase, just drop a bunch of money on some movies um, and I have purchased a few things, not a ton. Now, the, the, the great the great thing about the halfway to Black Friday sale is their add to your existing order option. So you make a purchase and then from there on out, you can just continue through the weekend. Just like, ah, I'll, I'll I feel like spending another 20 bucks. It's been a day. I can I can manage that. And you can continue adding to your order without having to pay like for shipping or do a whole new order kind of thing, which is great. It's honestly dangerous. Um, but I will say I haven't really even looked at uh, any of the new releases, to be totally honest. But uh, the one release that is new that I did pre-order um, and I kind of probably didn't need to, I got suckered into it, is uh, Paul Verhoeven's Showgirls. Uh, which I've never seen, but I, I do like Paul Verhoeven and I, I've been wanting to watch it. It's a 4K release of it. Uh, they when they released it uh, a few months ago as like the big halfway to Black Friday release pre-order, they said it's our fastest selling title ever. And I said, well, I want to make sure I get the fancy box of this. And I, I didn't know how many copies they were going to have available. So I pre-ordered and now you go on their site and it says they have 12,000 units. So they're not going to run into that anytime soon. Like they got lots of showgirls. Um, but because I pre-ordered that, then I get free shipping for the rest of the sale, which is pretty nice. So I did get the next, uh, my next forgotten Jolly set forgotten Jolly volume three. Uh, I got cloak and dagger 4k. Um, Cause that was running low. And I got one other movie that I don't even remember. I'd have to check my email. I got one other one that I believe it was a 4k. And I'm blanking right now. Um, let me check on that uh, while you give your two cents. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sounds good, bud. Um, wow, uh, that's kind of unfortunate about the showgirl situation where it's like they, they got you. <laughs> they, they made you think they're running out. But hey, it's a Paul Verhoeven movie. Um, if you watch it in the right setting, it is quite a lot of fun. Uh, it mm -hmm. is trashy as all get out. And it, it's good bad. 
like Paul Verhoeven's a talented director for sure. He's made some excellent films. That's not really one of them, um, but it is a fun watch. I mean, aside from a couple of scenes that are not exactly PC, I mean, he is Paul Verhoeven. He does like to do that. Um, but for the most part, I, I enjoy that movie. I don't know if I need to own it, um, but I have seen it a couple of times and, and enjoyed it every time. The dialogue in particular, uh, Joe Esterhaus, I believe, was the director. We we talked about him at length uh, when we did our erotic thriller month uh, at a catching up on cinema here. Um, he, as far as I know, the story behind that one is that that was like one of the most expensive screenplays ever sold at that time, which is just mind-boggling showgirls and and then yeah. you watch the movie and you hear the dialogue and you're like okay <laughs> it's like that just came out of robert dobby's mouth <laughs> mm-hmm. um but yeah uh, as for myself i have not even taken a look at the vinegar syndrome website uh, for the sale um of course it's vinegar syndrome they have plenty of titles that i've had my eyes on for forever now um the the vineyard is a title that I'm very curious about, um, but I, I just continually avoid pulling the trigger on that one. I did have a situation where I think it's the penitentiary films, the first two anyway. I think there is a third one that exists, but I don't think it exists on Blu-ray as of yet. I had those in my shopping cart at one point, and then as tends to be the case with me in sales, uh, they vanished. like They were erased from existence before I could pull the trigger on them. I'm not really in the mood for those right now, uh, so I'll, I'll get to them when I get to them. I'll probably just end up watching them rather than owning them. But I will mention that uh, recently they announced a new title that I I don't believe is available right now, um, but Undefeatable um, was announced, I believe, on 4K uh, via Vinegar Syndrome, which is a Cynthia Rothrock film um, that achieved uh, internet meme status. Um, because uh, somebody posted the final uh, martial arts fight scene uh, in that film uh, to YouTube many, many years ago um, and is utterly laughable. Uh, me and my friends kind of obsessively rewatched it and, in fact, made a short film featuring a, a character by the name Stingray, named after the villain in that film uh, with, the, with the mullet and uh, covered in the excessive grease. Um, if you haven't seen that that finale at the very least, I can't speak for the quality of the rest of the film, um, but that final battle is is just delightful in all the wrong ways. Uh, just, just so much baby oil, so much grunting, um, and then the the, the death blow uh, is is pretty fucking cool. Um, so that's actually one whenever it becomes available um, that I might actually pick up, um, and I may have to call those old friends of mine from like back in. Uh, my early post-college days and tell them, hey, you know that, <laughs> you remember that movie we used to laugh at all those years ago? Somebody put it on fucking 4K. It's on 4K now. Um, yeah, and it, it is uh, available. Like, you can purchase it now. It just, uh, it'll take a while for you to get it because gotcha. of so many orders. But yeah, it is up for purchase on the website right now. So, okay, I mean, if you're ready, you can pull the trigger right now. I, I might, I might actually... Go Let's do, do it right now. Let's do it live. Let's have you do it right now. <laughs> just make sure your credit card is up on the share screen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, we'll, we'll go and do this live. But uh, did you happen to rediscover what it, what it was you forgot there? It is uh, it, it, the Amityville Horror 4K uh, was the other one I bought, which I have seen the f- film maybe twice. I'm not really like the biggest fan of Amityville Horror, but, um, you know, it is kind of like 
considered a horror classic, even though I don't think the film is like all that great. And uh, it was uh, run. The slipcover was running out. And I said, you know what? It, as a horror guy, I feel like the Amityville Horror 4K from Vinegar Syndrome is one that I, I should own. Um, so I justified my my purchase that way. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, as a horror guy, it is it is important to the the history of the genre. Mm-hmm. Like it, it has a huge cultural footprint. In fact, they're still making sequels to it these days. Um, it was a really big deal at the time of release. Uh, was it James Brolin was the male lead in that? No, I thought this it's not the Ryan Reynolds version that I bought. Oh, that's the one. I <laughs> well, that yeah, was going to be my next one. joke, actually. Yeah. The, the remake is, of course, one of two films featuring Ryan Reynolds chopping wood shirtless, I believe. Um, I know this because my sister-in-law uh, is aware of this and has documented this. <laughs> uh, it's that and that Sandra Bullock movie where somebody needs citizenship papers or whatever. Mm. Um, but yeah, uh, I've seen Amity- Amityville Horror. Uh, it was it was all right. It's it's very low key horror. Um, yeah, it, it's very dated in that way, but it does some some things kind of nice. So I like the scene with the bugs. Uh, oh yeah. Probably one of the most famous scenes in the whole movie, honestly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nice, nice purchase. Actually, you'll probably have fun with that seeing it in 4K. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, uh, we should probably get to the theme uh, for this month. So jumping from the topic of horror, uh, we're going to go uh, and explore a different facet or a related uh, facet, I guess, of that genre in the form of monster movies. So May is for monsters and a uh, Brad. Uh, I'm going to do my hosting duty here and request uh, that you be the first one uh, to share your first monster movie pick. Well, uh, my first pick, I'm going to go with the one that actually was like kind of on the fence. I still think it is a monster movie, but I was kind of like, this this is the one that's maybe towing the line a little bit. But your definition, there was a very key word that you said that, I mean, now it's not even towing the line. In one of the definitions, it was like, animal or plant animal or plant and maybe slight spoiler for this movie because i kind of feel like they try and hide the what the monster actually is but the movie's been out for 15 years now uh it is from 2008 i believe the ruins the ruins which is uh directed by carter smith and written by scott b smith not brothers, not related as far as I know. Um, the Ruins is actually, it's based on a book that was uh, written by Scott B. Smith. He wrote the screenplay and he did the novel. And I got to say, the novel of The Ruins, maybe aside from the ending, which is pretty weak, the novel is amazing. Like, I think I've I've definitely read the book twice, maybe three times. Like, and that's, like I read sometimes, but like that's really like saying like, wow, this it's it, it's a cliche thing to say, but it's the type of movie where, or a book where literally like you just you can't put it down. It's just boom, boom, boom. It just keeps going. And uh, the movie version, I I know I was initially kind of like not a big fan of it because it does make some weird choices. Um, switching from novel to screen. Um, and obviously I get like you know, when you're adapting a novel, you're going to make changes, but there's just like weird things. Like one character in this, uh, is just like immediately offed. It's, it's like they combine a character from the book with another character and they just like completely cut them out. And it seems like, I mean, maybe for a like runtime, I can kind of get maybe having less characters, but you think like more characters, more body count, like let's amp it up. 
But the more I watch this movie, the more I actually do like it. And uh, I mean, Trevor, do you know anything about this movie? Like what the monster is? I haven't read the novel, but I have seen that movie and I I didn't have myself on the webcam when you pulled up the Blu-ray there. But I, I made a very happy face because I I quite enjoy that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it scratches a lot of my particular itches um, in terms of the portrayal of the monster and the way that the characters handle it. Um, so yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to talk about this one. Yeah, it's just it's a really unique kind of like horror like concept like i've never really seen anything quite like it before and it's gory it's very bleak um and yeah it's it's a kind of in a genre i like as well in terms of like i I like movies of people on vacation um i like vacation horror movies and the cast is pretty good as well you got jenna malone in here um sean ashmore uh ice ice guy or whatever from x-men right isn't that him i mean uh yeah i believe so yeah, so for for uh you know low budget kind of like you know quote unquote teen horror movie like it, it I think the quality is a step above a lot of the other stuff that was being put out at the time, and uh, yeah it's kind of just like a fun movie to just watch unravel as these characters like continue to realize how hopeless their situation is and to learn more about the the monster on the ruins and kind of like learn about its uh life and the, the ecosystem on there really interesting concept and uh i i have a good time with it and it's it's one i i come back to fairly regularly like i don't remember the last time i saw it but um it's certainly one that i'm always kind of like yeah i could watch the ruins right now like it's pretty it's pretty watchable it's fun yeah i've been considering doing an episode on it for catching up on cinema i don't actually know if kyle has seen that one um, but i watched it like pretty soon after it came out and i was very happy with it Um, i'd be Mm -hmm. curious to read the novel actually Um, and actually this is something we don't often do on on catching up on cinema or on tales from the shelf Um, but do you want to keep the the monster under wraps here just for just in case anybody that happens to listen like doesn't hasn't seen it or isn't familiar with it because it is it is learning about the thing and the way that the inter- the information is provided to the characters and the viewer is a huge part of the appeal of the movie to me anyway yeah i mean i kind i hinted at it a little bit but i, I guess maybe i'll just leave it there you, and... you said one word yeah that yeah I, I i'm i'm comfortable like I'll, I'll try to find a way to talk around it because i i do think that it's a very enjoyable movie and um, just learning about how the thing functions and how mm-hmm. everybody has to grapple with it and the way things continually just ramp up and just become more and more bleak, as you said. Uh, it's kind of chilling, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it scratches so many particular itches that I think you and I probably have in common, Brad, where it's like uh, it has the body horror aspect. I'm a huge fan of that. Folks at home, if you're not aware, Brad has a podcast called Cinema Speak. You should definitely be listening to it because it's fucking amazing. Um, Brad is actually in the middle of like basically an entire filmography watch of David Cronenberg uh, right now as we speak. Mm-hmm. He's reporting in uh, with his viewings from week to week. Uh, so the ruins would very much kind of slip into some of the categories of some of the stuff he did, especially very early uh, in his filmography. Yeah. Um, so it's got the body horror. It's got a monster. It it's an isolation thriller. It's basically it's basically one location. 
Um, in in some ways, it kind of has a similarity to the raft uh, from Creepshow Two. Uh, yeah, yeah, probably the best segment in that movie. Um, it it has a lot going for it if you're into those specific things. But um, little bit of a tangent, but uh, there's actually a novel that I read uh, just last year that I I had it on my to read list for years, and mostly the reason I didn't read it was because I I really was committed to the idea of finding it in the wild and and like buying it i didn't want to buy it through amazon for some reason um i just wanted to find it on a shelf somewhere and take it home with me and every used bookstore i went to they never ever had it um nor did they really have a whole section devoted to the author of it um but i ended up going to portland uh for the retro game expo um and it just so happens they have their bookstore there called powell's uh, which is an enormous multi-story bookstore brad uh, if you've never been there, if you're ever in Portland, definitely go there. You could spend an entire day uh, just wandering the aisles and finding some of the coolest shit ever. Um, anyway, uh, the book uh, is called The Troop, uh, and it's by an author named Nick Cutter. Um, I believe he has multiple pen names. Uh, that's like his uh, horror pen name. Um, but it's called The Troop. And holy shit, like I was like, oh, I need I need this to be adapted to film. Um, because it's about a Boy Scout troop that encounters a uh, a particular type of contagion that is extraordinarily nasty and ultra graphic in the way it is portrayed. Um, I may have heard of that. That's not when you said Boy Scout troop. Now it it sounds familiar. Yeah, it popped up on my radar. I, I think when I was looking for like body horror like novels uh, specifically. And I, I kind of swirled it away in my mind and I was like, I, I need this. So that one, that novel also has some things in common where they're they're trapped in the woods, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're stranded and they're also grappling with this. And then there's some infighting that goes along with it as well. So you have man turned against man dealing with like internal, like physical struggles as well. Um, has some similarities uh, to the ruins in that way. But as far as I know, there are no plans to adapt it to film. I think because of the age range of the characters and the the graphic nature of what happens to a lot of them, uh, there's probably no chance in hell uh, that it'll ever happen. But as soon as I closed the book on it, I was like, fuck, I really, I need to see what this thing looks like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the, the novel is, you said you read it twice, so it, mu- it must have done something for you. Yeah, it's kind of just one of those ones where like the chapters are always short and it's just kind of like, you know, having seen the movie, you can see how it would be a continual thing where it's just like you got to know what happens next. Um, And yeah, it's very engaging. And the the author, Scott Smith, um, as far as I know, I think he's only written two books. He wrote The Ruins and the, the movie A Simple Plan, which was made into the Sam Raimi film. Um, And I think he did the screenplay for both of those films as well. Um, but he's only written two novels and I actually did look it up. He did write, uh, two other screenplays, um, that have come out in the last like five years, uh, Siberia with Keanu Reeves and the burnt orange heresy. Um, which I haven't heard of that one, but, uh, I, uh, I, I like this guy's stuff so far. So I might have to check out those, uh, those two films. Cause I was kind of like, after reading this and a simple plan and liking them, it was kind of like, man, I want it's kind of like, you know, to only put out two novels in a span of almost 30 years. Like it's, you know, he, he, he takes his shots. He's not, he's not <laughs> just pumping out everything he can. 
Well, I'm glad I'm glad both versions of it work for you. Um, I may actually, on on the strength of your recommendation, I may have to give that one a read because uh, obviously that that type of novel does appeal to me, um, and I did enjoy the movie, and I'd be curious to see the differences between the two. Plus, it gives me an excuse to rewatch the movie because uh, yeah. I haven't seen it since uh, what year did it come out? I think 2008. That sounds right. Uh, yeah, 2008. Yeah, I. I think i saw it while i was in college then um but yeah i haven't seen it since um, but mm-hmm. it's long held a place in my memory uh, and it's mostly positive um so excellent pick brad uh, like I don't, I don't even know if i'm going to end up having any of my picks measure up to the level of enthusiasm i had for yours so i suppose the pick is to me and i have a bit of a quandary here brad uh do you want me to play off of yours or do you want do you want me to take us elsewhere well i kind of like uh that zone of the ruins i don't know how much you're gonna play off of it but uh if you can play off that a little bit i say i say go for it if i'm being honest i can't i I do have a very obvious uh similarity in terms of the nature of the monster i guess or at least the the species of monster but I think that's a little too on the nose. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I'm just going to take us somewhere else. Somewhere topical, now that I think about it. <laughs> Did not see this coming. Uh, it just occurred to me as I was picking it up. You probably know what I'm referencing here. So uh, this is a live stream, uh, folks. It will be posted to the podcast feed. Uh, but this is uh, May 28th is the date we're having this conversation. So uh, I'm going to pull this up now. I'm going to give myself the single. Uh so I have here a film uh, from director Michael Anderson, who that doesn't mean anything to me, uh, but it is a Dino De Laurentiis uh, production. And this is Orca, the Killer Whale uh, from Scream Factory. Nice. Uh, so the reason <laughs> I say this is a topical pick uh, because, is because um, I believe it is uh, off the coast of Portugal, I think. Um, there have been a series of uh, orca attacks on uh, vessels at sea uh, very, very recently. Um, this is ripped from the headlines. Um, so this movie has a, uh, a little bit of a iffy reputation. Um, it is a Dino De Laurentiis uh, production from the 70s, specifically 1977. So not that many years removed from Jaws. And uh, Dino, uh, he had himself a fixation on Jaws. Uh, he was kind of always trying to chase th- the success of that particular blockbuster uh, by doing like large spectacle films, oftentimes involving monsters and the like, and the form of an aquatic beast in the form of an orca. Uh, you could also make a similar argument for, I believe uh, he produced the, the 70s King Kong film as well. Uh, so he, he was always chasing that damn fish uh, during this era of his, his, his reign as a producer. But anyway... Uh, this film, Orca, like I said, kind of an iffy reputation. Not everybody loves it. I don't even know if I love it, um, but I do have a very, very soft spot for it because there's an aspect to the melodrama of this movie that I find very charming. Just just the things that this this damn mammal of the sea does to to this man and this community are... It, it sets a fire. <laughs> it burns down a village. 
and and it, it eats Bo Derek's leg. Like it do, it does all these incredible things. It's like Jesus, that thing is really pissed. Um, and not only that, the, the like it's not melodramatic. It's actually kind of like horrific. Um, the the catalyst uh, for the conflict between man and beast. This is very much a man versus beast movie. Uh, is truly horrific. Um, have you seen this one, Brad? No, I've actually uh, never seen it. Okay, well, I, I won't spoil it for you, but the reason why the orca is mad uh, at at a handful of people, but more specific, more specifically, one dude in particular, it makes sense. Like if you if you were to if you were to recast the orca as like a man, and you had like the same thing, the same atrocity like brought upon a man or or a woman or something instead of a big fucking orca. Um, it would the math would add up. It's like, oh yeah, I, I understand why you want that dude dead. <laughs> like that was pretty fucked, man. Um, but yeah, uh, one of the biggest selling points for me on this one is the score. Uh, it it kind of erases any negativity I have towards this movie because it's kind of a sloppily constructed film in a lot of ways. It is dull at times. It has some pretty good performances for sure. Um, I believe it's uh, Richard Harris. Yeah. Richard Harris is the star of this, and he's awesome as usual. Um, but the score by Ennio Morricone is one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard. Um, even among his amazing accolades, like even wow. among amongst that's, his amazing body of work, that's high praise. Yeah, that is high praise. Um, the theme for this film is haunting. Uh, it's evocative of the sea. Uh, there's a vocal rendition of it done by I don't know the name of the singer, but I believe it's a a woman that Morricone uh, worked with many, many times throughout his career. Um, so there's a vocal rendition of the theme present in the film as well. It's an absolutely gorgeous piece of music. The whole score is beautiful, but um, I, I could listen to it any day, any time of day and just be mystified by it. Um, so the score for me, it gives it unlimited brownie points. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm just a sucker for man versus beast kind of movies like the whole Moby Dick thing or Jaws is kind of the example that comes to mind. There's even a piece of music on the soundtrack for that film Jaws uh, by John Williams called, I believe, Man versus Beast. Um, there's just something compelling about it, about uh, basically an animal and a man kind of agreeing to almost like a gentlemanly duel, usually on the home turf of the animal or something. There's something just infinitely compelling about that to me in particular. Um, so this is a movie that it's very difficult for me to like make a very strong argument, like in terms of its quality. Um, but I do have a very, very, very soft spot for it. Um, I don't think it's awful. It does have some perks to it, but it is, it is very uneven. So I could totally see somebody watching it in adulthood or something. I saw this when I was pretty young uh, for the first time, but I could totally see somebody coming to this now and just being like, that was dreadfully boring, Trevor. Why did you ask me to watch that? It's like, well, if you listened, I didn't actually tell you to watch it. You did that. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah. that's Orca, the killer whale, exclamation point. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one I need to see because I, I like that subgenre. I like movies involving water. Um, yeah, it's uh, the Blu-ray. It's a, it's a Shout Factory release, right? Is it Scream Factory or... Uh, it's labeled Scream Factory. Labeled but, a yeah. Scream Factory, yeah. yeah. Also, yeah. A Shout Factory. Yeah, I need to pick that up in a sale or something. Problem is, their sales are so uh, 
sporadic. I can't I can't plan for them. But um, yeah, next time they have a sale, that might be one I add into my cart. Yeah, I mean, I I think it would do something for you, Brad. I mean, I know you and I both like aquatic monster movies very specifically. Um, so I, I don't think it would be a total waste of time. I seriously doubt it would become like a personal favorite of yours. It would mm-hmm. probably just be like a novelty watch where it's like, well, I've seen Orca. <laughs> it's like next stop tentacles. It's like, why? Well, it's because it's the other one from that era that was trying to cash in on the whole Jaws thing. Um, but yeah, uh, either that or do you know if Devilfish uh, has gotten a Blu-ray release anywhere? Um, that was that remains one of my favorite Mystery Science Theater 3000 episodes ever. Um, I, I don't know what it was about that episode, but I, I occasionally look it up on YouTube and just skip to the part where the guy says, I know, <laughs> and, and it just makes me roll on the floor laughing. It looks like it did get a uh, code red release, but it looks oh, like it fuck. is out of stock. Yeah. Or out I mean, of print. Lot, everybody wanted that Devilfish action. Yeah. <laughs> what can I say? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Beloved film, beloved Italian horror film, Devilfish. <laughs> it, it is crazy though when you start like, like it's the kind of thing where the, the I feel like the more you watch movies, the more like lenient you kind of need to be. Maybe it's just the movies I watch, but you know, like the average person, they're gonna watch Jaws and be like, oh, that's a great movie. It's a classic. They're gonna watch Orca and be like, oh, that's a terrible movie like it's a ripoff it's a, it's not good but then you get like me and you and you start getting into the devil fishes and the cruel jaws and you get into the 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 ripoffs of the ripoffs like the bad ripoffs that aren't even like full movies and it's like no orca is actually really good <laughs> like, yeah, yeah i mean it had fucking dino uh, yeah. it had dino money backing it it couldn't be all bad yeah yeah <laughs> The more the more you watch, the more you realize, like, yeah, those movies that maybe you looked at as bad initially, like, no, they're not bad. Like compared to some other stuff, like they're they're solid. Yeah, I don't want to go off on a whole tangent here because it would be nice to get another one of your picks after my whole spiel about Orca for 20 minutes or whatever. But um, there there is a thing when it comes to people's viewing habits that I do find kind of fascinating because. Again, I don't want to speak for you, Brad, but I feel like you and I have have a thing where watching something that's derivative isn't a sin like that. It doesn't feel like a waste of time. Like I can watch any number of die hard on a insert like insert like location here movies and never be bothered by it. Like it Mm -hmm. doesn't bother me the fact that Die Hard is the king of the mountain and everything else is just a pale imitation. It doesn't bother me to consume those because they're unique products in their own way. Even if they borrow 80% of their material from something way, way better, they are still a unique product. And to me, it's interesting to see how people go about things sometimes. Like, like some, I feel I learn a lot more from watching bad movies, honestly, than I do good films. Like I appreciate great films, but I feel like I actually learned something about how to what makes a good film good by watching bad films. And I don't think everybody has that um, because you kind of mentioned it there, right? A lot of people in my in my orbit, they scoff at the idea of it's like, well, I've seen Jaws. Why would I want to see something that's like Jaws, but less than Jaws? It's like, well, because it's different. (laughs) It might suck, but it's different. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also, I feel like being able to see 
you know, you watch like a movie that's like really well constructed, well done. You know, that's great. Yeah, you can learn a lot of stuff from that. But you also learn a lot by watching the lesser movies and actually being able to see the seams. Like, you know, sometimes if an effect doesn't totally work, you can kind of get an understanding. You know, it might take you out of the movie, but you get like, oh, I see how they tried to do that. And it's interesting. Like, I guess you could you'd probably be able to do that with these better movies if you watch behind the scenes featurettes and actually see the seams like behind the curtain. But it is interesting seeing those seams like in the finished print and kind of seeing even even like editing mistakes. Like, yeah, you can definitely learn from seeing you know, the, the B tier. Yeah, no, I, I, it brings me back to making shitty movies in the backyard with my friends where it's like, it, it is kind of, it's like a meta game in the viewing experience where it, it, to me, it's very, very fun to, to see mistakes or see where attempts were made and kind of half, like have to like manufacture parts of the movie in your own imagination because they don't exist in the actual product mm-hmm. <laughs> where it's like I, I think I understand what they wanted to be there they didn't have the tools to do it but I could see where the attempt was made and that you know sometimes it's charming sometimes it just feels like a waste of your goddamn time um, but when it's charming it is it is a very unique kind of charm um, yeah anyway uh, that's enough about Orca so Brad uh, what is your next uh, monster movie pick well, I'm going to do something that uh, I don't know if we've ever done it before. And I'm going to highlight a movie that I have not seen. Uh-oh. I've never watched this movie. And I will mention that the reason I'm talking about it is it is a monster movie that is confirmed. And I, I've seen the trailer. I've seen clips and stuff. So I know it's, you know, there's no, they're not pulling a fast one on me here. But I have actually read the short story that this is based on. So this is... Um, kind of in a, in a way similar to the ruins. I've been meaning to watch this for a while. I just read the short story. Maybe I don't know. It was probably like five months ago. Now I've been meaning to watch this for a while, but it is Stephen King's graveyard shift, Stephen King's graveyard shift, uh, which is based on his short story of the same name. You got Brad Dourif in here. I think there's a couple other, uh, known uh known entities in here maybe not um directed by <laughs> ralph s singleton this is a scream factory disc and i remember this film uh not being on cable all the time but i remember it being like you know in the halloween season you know kind of a a, a b or c tier stephen king movie they'd, they'd have this on at four o'clock in the afternoon fairly regularly i don't think i ever ended up watching it but knowing it was stephen king i wanted to and basically um, if it's anything like the um, short story, and I believe it is, it's a, a group of uh, workers at this uh, mill that uh, they end up going down uh, below the mill or something, and they uh, find out that it's infested with rats. And as, in the short story, as they continue going further and further down in these tunnels, the rats grow larger and larger and larger. And I do believe um, I've seen a few clips where, you know, they they get to be monster sized rats eventually. And uh, I've heard the film isn't that great, but uh, it's one I've been wanting to wanting to check out. And um, the, the short story it was based on was pretty, pretty solid. I mean, not my favorite Stephen King short story, but I've been, uh, you know, working my way through a lot of Stephen King's stuff. And uh this was uh, in one of his uh, short story collections. So I finally was like, I got to pick up the Blu-ray and watch the watch the watch the movie now. Just waiting. I haven't done it yet. 
Yeah. Uh, excellent pick, Brad. Um, you kind of two for two here. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, not a great Stephen King adaptation, although I haven't, I actually haven't read the short story. Uh, so I can't vouch for like, have you, have you seen this? I have. Okay. I have. Oh, solid. Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, I, I have seen it. Um, actually the way it popped onto my radar, uh, is kind of a, it's not a great story, but it's a story, so I'll tell it. Um, so, um, one, uh, the cover art for that one would have been a candidate uh, for our VHS uh, cover art uh, event month. I'll give you a single there, Brad, just mm-hmm. to highlight that. So it, it is that good, in, but it really has nothing to do with the movie. I mean, <laughs> no, uh, it it really doesn't. But it is a striking cover. Yeah. Um, and of course, as a child, you know, walking up and down the aisles of your blockbuster or in my case, uh, the, the local grocery store uh, that jumped out at me. It was kind of spooky. It was spooky. Um, but actually, uh, aside from that, the way that movie popped onto my radar uh, came in the form of um, uh, I think we were watching Glory uh, for school because uh, we were doing like a unit about the Civil War or something. And the teacher was cool. So they had us watch Glory, which is an awesome fucking movie. I, I can't wait to hear the con- like how this is the connection between Glory and Graveyard Shift. So. Uh, the connection comes in the form of, I don't know if this was a budget thing having to do with the school, <laughs> um, but the tape or tapes, I think it was a two tape situation. Uh, the tape uh, that uh, they screened Glory to us on came in the form of something recorded off of television and it was like sponsored by Pepsi and it had some guy doing a long intro or something. It may have been LeVar Burton. I don't remember. <laughs> it may have been. Uh, he's not in the Glory, by the way. Um Anyway, there was this long intro, Pepsi Presents Glory. <laughs> and then there were commercial breaks. Nice. <laughs> like contemporary commercial breaks from the early 90s or the late 80s. I don't actually know. Uh, but there was a commercial for Graveyard Shift, which was going to be airing on television after the broadcast of Glory. And it was kind of graphic. So there's like a part where a dude's arm gets ripped off nice. <laughs> and it was just on the commercial. Like all the kids, we're young. We're just like, what the fuck is that movie? Why aren't we watching that? Yeah. There's a bunch of dudes in a mind and some dude got his arm ripped off. Yo, teach, can we watch Graveyard Shit? He was a cool guy. He had a good chuckle at it, but he was like, <laughs> I fucked up. <laughs> but yeah, that was how I became aware of that was some guy with a gravelly voice, some announcer going the graveyard shift tonight at 11 (laughs) it was awesome um but eventually i did end up watching it uh via like hbo or encore or something uh when i was still living at my parents house probably in high school or something and it's not great um but it has some really fun performances uh Mm -hmm. brad Dourif is insanely over the top um and he's also playing kind of an oddball character in it. He's playing an exterminator with the worst hair, like the worst hair you'll, <laughs> you'll ever see. It's, 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 yeah. it's really bad, Brad. It's, it's not, it's no bueno. Um, but the, the real, um, the real standout here, and I actually had to look him up um, because I don't know his name off the top of my head is a uh, Steven mocked. Um, he plays the, like the foreman or like the owner of the location and he has yeah. a curious accent that's very it, it, it reminds me of uh, the the disney movie heavyweights aka the best disney movie ever made um where the character lars is asked where he is from and he simply replies in his german accent far away 
<laughs> that's that's where Stephen Mock's character is from in this movie. It's like, is he like Eastern European? I I don't know, but I don't want to fuck with him. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, he is. He is kind of amazing in that movie. Uh, he he takes that performance places you you will never see coming, and he, his intensity is dialed up to eleven. It's a very goddamn sweaty movie, Brad. Mm-hmm. So goddamn sweaty. It's one of the sweatiest movies I've ever seen. Um, okay, violence. Okay, production values. Nothing amazing. Um, it does have rats. Lots and lots and lots of rats and lots and lots and lots of overacting. Uh, yeah. All in all, pretty fun movie. But this makes two in a row that I don't want to. I don't want to talk about the monster in yours, uh, mostly because you haven't seen it, but you've read the novel. So I guess you maybe have an idea of what to expect. Yeah, I I know the basics of where it goes, I assume, unless it totally diverges from the novel. But from what I can tell, um, little bits and pieces, maybe that TV clip that you saw, maybe that's what I saw online. Um, From what I can tell, it seems pretty similar to the story. Yeah, uh, it's funny because... Speaking of Stephen King, uh, another adaptation of his that I haven't seen that I kind of desperately at this point want to is The Mangler, Mm -hmm. um, the Toby Hooper film that has come up in conversation between you and I many, many times. Um, uh, Included in the same uh, short story collection from Stephen King, both uh, together. Okay, well, um, that, that makes a lot of sense because thematically just from what I know through cultural osmosis about the Bangalore, I feel like there's a pretty solid through line between those two stories. Cause Stephen King has a lot of tendencies and uh, we, we talked at length about Stephen King probably too long. In fact, uh, on the maximum overdrive episode we did with uh, the movies for life people, uh, Brian and Michelle they they also have an awesome podcast. Definitely check it out. Um, they're both kind of like experts about Stephen King. So I, I did a lot of listening that episode. <laughs> um, Kyle too. Um, but one thing that came up that they, they concurred, like they were like, yes, that is, that is a recurring element of a lot of his stories. It's like the, the workplace oppression aspect of the story. Cause like mm-hmm. the true quote monsters, I want to say in the Mangler and graveyard shift are the people kind of nudging people towards grappling with the quote monsters where it's like they're these are all people that are forced into situations where it's not it's not really up to them whether or not they want to deal with deal with the scary things in the basement basically they're they're being fed to it essentially um and like the pat hingle character in maximum overdrive definitely has that where he's he's basically like lording over Emilio Estevez's character because he's on parole, essentially. And he's like, yeah, you go fight those trucks. <laughs> it's like, yeah, fuck you, boss. Um, so Graveyard Shift has quite a lot of that. And I want to say the Mangler probably does as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I also have the Mangler. Uh, probably going to save that one to watch uh, in Hooptober. But, uh, you know, you never know. Maybe I'll watch it before then. But Well, if, if you want to do a retro review of that one, uh, I've been needing an excuse forever. Um, yeah. so if, if there's time. nothing interesting in theaters in October and you want to pull the trigger on that, just give me a holler. It might finally be time. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for the mangler. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Well, um, shit, I don't really have anything that can follow the graveyard shift. I mean, I don't have any, you, I mean, it's graveyard shift. You, you should be able to follow it up pretty easily. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, in terms of quality, I'm sure I, I'm sure I have plenty of things that are better. It's just, I don't think I have any rodent uh, horror. I don't think I have any, uh, 
I don't have any, I don't have Night of the Lepus, for instance. Uh, mm. I don't have a giant rabbit movie or anything I can pull out here. Um, so uh, I'll go with something here. Eh, sorry for the delay. And I'll pull a Warner Brothers disc out um, just for funsies. This is not one that I have a whole lot to say about, um, but it is a movie that uh, I quite enjoyed as a child. Um, so this is kind of out of left field. Uh, it has very little to do with the graveyard shift or anything. Uh, but I have here in a <laughs> badly <laughs> fractured case. Oh, that's the Brad screen. <laughs> enjoy watching Brad drink, people. He's, enjoy he's, my coffee here. He's getting swassed. <laughs> needs yeah. his liquid courage to get through this fucking episode. Uh, More than coffee, yeah. Just a little bit, just a little bit. It is Memorial Day weekend after it's all. True. Long weekend. You ain't got you ain't got report to work tomorrow. That's true. Uh, so, That's true. Uh, I have from the Warner Archive Collection a badly damaged Blu-ray case of uh, the Valley of Guanji, mm. uh, and this is from director James O. Connolly. Um, but nobody gives a shit about that. Uh, the real person that we all know and love <clears throat> that's associated with this film is, of course, stop motion animator Ray Harryhausen, uh, who is a legend of the industry. Uh, he's one of the one of the foremost practitioners of stop motion animation in mainstream film. Uh, he was a uh, I believe he was an apprentice of Willis O'Brien, uh, who did The Lost World and King Kong. And I want to say that he he was his apprentice and he kind of didn't perfect the craft per se, but he did, he did improve upon it. And in every generation, it seems that there's a new master who comes along that makes a massive contribution to the art form. Um, nowadays we have like, like studios who's just like exploding everybody's brains with the, the kind of technical innovations that they bring to the table, but kind of an in-between step. That's kind of, uh, gained some mainstream prominence in recent years and very justifiably. So was Phil Tippett. Um, who was kind of a contemporary master of the art and introduced a lot of techniques uh, involving motion blur uh, that really did wonders uh, to improve the quality of the end product. But anyway, uh, Valley of Guanji uh, is from, I believe, the 60s. Uh, I don't actually know the exact year here. Um, but this is Dinosaurs versus Cowboys. Uh, it's Cowboys versus Dinosaurs. It's like, how could you go wrong, man? Uh, Cowboys versus Aliens, on the other hand, uh, that that movie is a pile of trash. Um, <laughs> in fact, I wrote a scathing review of that film that uh, ended up being quoted on some major news outlet or something. Like somebody mm. referenced my article about it because I was so nasty. <laughs> that movie. <laughs> because uh, that movie wasted my fucking time, uh, and it 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 played it wrong, if you ask me. Like it it played it way too straight. Uh, there were plenty of opportunities to do interesting things, and they seemingly, at every turn, made the wrong choice. And that was a John Favreau movie too. So, like anybody who tells you that guy doesn't miss, he fucking missed. <laughs> 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 um, but uh, yeah. Valley of Guanji, I saw this. Um, this was on a VHS tape uh, that I got for Easter of all things uh, when I was a very little kid. It was called Fantastic Dinosaurs of the Movies. Um, and if I can find a way to do like a, a, a live screening and like reaction to that, that tape, Brad, maybe that's a, maybe that's a project we should do. I should, I should rope you into that. Cause as far as I know, it's not that long. 
Um, but I watched that tape so many fucking times. And what it was was a, a, a VHS tape compiling old B-movie trailers uh, from the 1940s, I want to say, or maybe even the no 1930s, because King Kong is in there uh, through like maybe the early 70s. Uh, so from the black and white era to the color era, and every single one of them is some form of monster movie. And just the style of advertising is so relentlessly charming. Um, and it's just nothing but just wall-to-wall trailers of of those old B-movie monster movies. And I learned so much from watching that tape. I learned so much about the history of the genre and whatnot. And I, I learned about all these monsters like Reptilicus and Gorgo and any number of dinosaur movies. Um, at the Earth's Core, that's a movie I definitely want to have Kyle watch at some point. Um, Doug McClure and Peter Cushing uh, fighting giant parrot monsters at the Earth's Core. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, flame-spitting toads and pig-faced men. Cinema. <laughs> anyway, mm-hmm. Valley of Guanji had a trailer on that tape. Um, at the end of the day, it's just remarkable stop-motion animation by one of the best guys to ever do it, uh, featuring an Allosaurus, uh, among many other dinosaurs, clashing with cowboys with rifles and lassos. And the interaction between the two elements, between the live-action plates uh, and the stop-motion effects work, is pretty darn good. It's not Jason and the Argonauts like amaze balls, but it's good enough. And I really enjoy this movie. Um, it has a it has a wonderful quality to it that is, is just so easy for me to just put on and enjoy. Very good score, by the way. Um, a lot of Ray Harryhausen films uh, had that going for them. Uh, Jerome Maras, uh, not a name that's uh, familiar to me. Um, but he did the score, excellent theme music, and uh, filmed in Dynamation, uh, I believe, is was one of the selling points uh, for the the visual effects technology uh, featured in the film. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's my piece on Valley of Guanji, Brad. Sorry about how long that was. No, I mean, that that's a great pick, and I don't really have anything from that era, but, I mean, when I do watch... Um you know, films from that era, like, yeah, just watching the stop motion effects is just a delight. Like, I, I love checking out what they could do back then. And uh, yeah, that's when I've I've, you know, I know the name have never uh, gotten around to watching it, though. But I, I would like to check that out at some point. Yeah, I would I would recommend it. Um, it it's very, very colorful. Um, it's very, very lighthearted and fun. Some of the dinosaur fights and stuff are a lot of fun. The choreography is excellent. Ray Harryhausen had a flair for the the dramatic. Uh, he loved killing his monsters. Like a lot of them would like clutch their chest and reach to the heavens and go, "Oh, oh no!" <laughs> they do the the Ken Watanabe in uh, the Last Samurai. Perfect, dear order, perfect. <laughs> As they're going down, <laughs> it was always amazing, and th- this movie is no exception. Um, plus, it's just kind of fun watching uh, Guanji. By the way, is the the name assigned to the Allosaurus in the movie? He's kind of the he's kind of like the Terminator. He's like the big bad in the movie. And it's just, most of the movie is just him wrecking everyone's shit. Like every dinosaur that shows up in the movie is kind of like cool for two seconds, and then he shows up and he's like, "Oh no!" It's like my name's on the box, man. <laughs> like my name's on the marquee. Get out of my movie. And so like. There's like a Styracosaurus that he's like, I'm fuck you up. And like they're trying to like throw lassos on him. And he's like, I am in the middle of something. <laughs> it's pretty great. Um, but yeah, Ray Harryhausen's wonderful. 
Um, anything by him is worth a book at the very least. Um, he really is a master uh, for a reason. Uh, I will point out uh, just for funsies, uh, just so I can get out of the way early. Um, I do have this uh, documentary here, uh, Ray Harryhausen's Special Effects Titan. Uh, this is a documentary film from who put this out? Uh, Arrow Films. Although that logo is a little funky. So I guess technically an Arrow disc, oh, maybe. Nice. Um, but uh, yeah, this is a lovely little documentary. That's it's pretty uh, surface level. Like it doesn't like dig super deep into the man's personal life or history or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a nice tribute. Uh, is mostly what it is. Um, but yeah, this is this is quite nice. And uh, just the list of personalities featured in the documentary they're interviewed. We got Peter Jackson. Uh, we got James Cameron. We got Steven Spielberg. We got Tim Burton, Guillermo del Toro, Joe Dante, everybody's favorite. John Landis, uh, nobody's favorite, uh, <laughs> although he has made some great films. Uh, checkered Past, that man has. Yeah. And uh, Terry Gilliam as well. It's pretty, uh, pretty solid lineup right there. Yeah, there's some some okay people in there, some some okay filmmakers. Um, but yeah, uh, that's it for uh, the Valley of Guanji and uh, my bit on Ray Harryhausen. I, I promise that's the only one I have because for some fucking reason I can't find my Jason and the Argonauts disc. I don't know what happened to it. Maybe some motherfucker, some motherfucker stole it. I don't know. Um, but I did own that movie at one point because I love that movie because it's fantastic. Um, but for some reason, I can't find it. Uh, but yeah, that's enough out of me, Brad. Uh, pick is to you, sir. Well, um, I'm. I think I'm just going to go with an obvious one this time. I mean, it's one that I am sure you have in your pile over there. But I'll mention it. Um, and it's it's an obvious one, but it's a new purchase for me. Newly purchased, uh, so new that I'm going to do a live uh, unwrapping because I still have the the shrink wrap on it here. And uh, that movie is one that I know we've talked about, so I don't even I should probably just not even pick this one. But going with Tremors, Tremors, which uh, is up there as one of the movies that I watched most as a child. Um, Great monster movie, great concept, great characters, uh, so much fun and definitely toes the line really well between the horror and the humor like it's never over, it's not it's never too jokey but it's just jokey and fun enough but it it treats the monsters as serious threats like you know it's it's tough to have that balance um and this film does it very well and i watched the first 3 tremors movies um downright religiously when i was a young child uh that along with um gremlins which i could pull off the shelf also but i didn't um is one of the ones where it's like anytime my mom would take me to the video store it'd be it it, at first it was always gremlins 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 finally she relented and let me rent gremlins 2 even though it's pg-13 um because i was you know i was probably like four or five years old and she didn't really care about like what happened in the film it was just like ah you know gremlins is pg gremlins 2 is pg-13 so no i can't let you get gremlins 2 but eventually i just she was sick of me always renting the first gremlins she said you can get gremlins 2 fine i'm sick of it um but then also uh the tremors movies because i did own 
three on VHS. I had Tremors three on VHS. I don't think I owned one and two. I think those were just constant video rentals, just like always. Maybe I had Tremors, the first one, like uh, recorded from like a, a TV broadcast, but I, I don't think so. Mm. So, uh, yeah, but I I love Tremors. Uh, I, lo- I love the monster and uh, I'm excited to check out this uh, Arrow 4K, which I just unwrapped here. Just the standard edition, not not the fancy with the box. I missed out on that, unfortunately, but. Oh, I'll give you the single one sec. Oh, yeah, there you go. There's there. There's the inside. Very nice. Very nice. Um, yeah, if I, I I think when this came out, actually, I didn't have a 4K player yet because uh, otherwise I absolutely would have um, snagged the limited edition box. Uh, I mean, if I if I have the limited edition box for uh, uh, wild things, then I would definitely be on the case to get the limited edition box for tremors but oh well <laughs> well being as you and i have talked about tremors so many times i do have mine set aside as well by the way <laughs> um uh just to streamline the conversation i guess uh favorite scene or favorite kill in the first tremors film brad go oh boy um that's tough i do love um the car the couple in the car getting pulled under um and i remember that that scene specifically being one as a kid that was pretty frightening um so i would probably go with that one yeah i i, I love the effects of it and uh uh when kevin bacon i think it's kevin bacon it's not fred ward who finds the car and I mean, uh he, yeah i think they find it together they they're find both, it together they're, yeah. they're both they hear the radio yeah, and the the headlights are still on underneath. Like and they just, just give each other a look, hard cut to them driving away. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, just like just, fuck this. <laughs> yeah. And it's Ron Underwood, right? Like I can't. Yeah. Remember, I know I've looked before. Like what else did he do? Because like Tremors is so well done. I, off the top of my head, I couldn't think of anything else the man's done. But God, he just knocked it out of the park with that movie. And it's the story behind that movie is just so, it's so cute that like so little enthusiasm was brought to it from like the, the actor's standpoint, like Kevin Bacon did not want to do that movie. Mm-hmm. He was upset about it. And then, you know, probably filming it, I could totally see with the nature of some of the effects work in that using so much puppetry and like forced perspective shots and whatnot. It's like as an actor, I could totally see you just not knowing what it's going to be where it's like, I'm doing yeah. my part, but like, it's a fucking puppet, man. <laughs> and half the time, it, it's not even working opposite me. I, I'm being told to react to dust. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, the results speak for themselves. It's a fucking classic. It's an amazing movie. Even the girlfriend loved that movie. Um, that made me super happy to introduce that to her and have her be like, I love this movie. This is great. And I was like, thank God. Otherwise, we would have some serious problems. <laughs> yeah well he he did do city slickers that was his oh, follow-up okay. um that's that's a pretty good fucking movie i think what killed his career is uh the adventures of pluto nash oh fuck yeah fuck um, me he's still Yikes. doing lots of tv work so he's still working but he's okay. just in, in tv okay well he probably he probably got the pluto nash gig based on the comedic comedic background like de- dealing with a humorous script 
knowing how to punctuate those moments and also special effects background as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really awesome that he did City Slickers. I actually didn't know that because um, that, that's a very solid movie. Second one's not bad either. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I guess you and I have a pretty similar relationship to Tremors in that way. Um, childhood favorite remains to this day, personal favorite for many, many people, honestly. Um, it's the, your Gremlin story was making me chuckle because I think I saw Gremlins 2 before I saw the first one. Um, and folks, if you're not in on the gag, Gremlins 2 is rated PG-13. I have to assume because of, of the public reaction and outcry to the first Gremlins movie. I do remember there was like people were upset, like parents groups were upset because it was too, too dark and nasty. Mm-hmm. Um, and something something about it felt like like false advertising or something where it's like this movie's really mean and nasty is like it didn't seem like it was going to be that way. And then you get to Gremlins 2, which does receive the PG-13 rating and it's a fucking Looney Tunes cartoon. It is not scary in the slightest aside from maybe that spider sequence and maybe the elevator scene um, with yeah. Phoebe Cates. Um, the rest of it's it's a fucking cartoon. It's silly as all get out. <laughs> the first one at least has like a lighting scheme to it and like a color palette that suggests like we, you are watching somewhat of a horror movie. Um, but yeah, I think I saw Gremlins 2 first and then I got to the first one. Interesting. And, and uh, Tremors 3, that's the one with the ass blasters, correct? Yeah, which that I, I don't dislike Tremors 3, but that's a perfect example of of not threading the needle of jokey to seriousness like that that's where the joke goes too far like that's just the perfect example like does it doesn't work that 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 gag calling it that just doesn't work yeah i i remember not caring very much for tremors 3 i actually kind of preferred the fourth one was that the prequel in the old west yeah i only saw that one the one time i think i i need to revisit that yeah, I, I seem to remember kind of liking that because um, Michael Gross gets to work against, like, I guess his type these days now that he's eternally Bert. <laughs> like, like he wasn't always Bert. These days he's he is Bert. Um, <laughs> like he's he's getting casting calls for nothing but Bert. Um, although, am I wrong? Was he in Curb Your Enthusiasm in some of those later seasons? Sounds like it could be right, but I, I can't tell you. I can see his particular facial expression and like just expressions of frustrations like playing very well opposite larry david mm-hmm. it's like what larry what the fuck <laughs> like i can totally see him too um but yeah in the fourth one he's playing like a, a different version of the character where he's much more meek um so he gets to do some of that acting shit and actually like the the proto graboids in that one were kind of neat they're only in like one scene if memory serves, where they're these little like pill bug looking things, these little potato bug looking dudes mm-hmm. uh, who are kind of like agile and they work above ground. Um, they're only in like one scene, but they like fuck a dude up pretty good in that. And I was like, oh, why couldn't we just do that the rest of the movie? It's like, oh, shit. Um, yeah, Tremors is great. I won't I want to be that guy and uh, show that I do have the the super duper box edition of that one. Uh, that was a gift from the girlfriend. I didn't own mm. that. Uh, I did not buy that with my own money. Um, I just had the the basic vanilla ass uh, universal Blu-ray um, until the girlfriend uh, bought it for me because she was like, you've been trying to get me to watch this for a long time. We should probably watch it the right way. And I was like, yeah. I was like, you 
you get it. <laughs> you get it. <laughs> go home. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, that was Tremors. Um, so I suppose the pick is to me. H- how many more rounds do you want to go, Brad? Do you want to call this uh, the last one, or you want to do a couple more? Yeah, let's see. Well, I went first. I mean, if you want to do one, and then I can do. Well, you do one, and then we'll do one last round. Does that sure. work? Or that sounds good to me. That works for me. Okay. Uh, so I'm gonna do. Yeah. Excuse me a sec. So, uh, kind of bypassing the awesome cult status of uh, Tremors here, I'm going to bounce back to my previous pick um, that was The Valley of Guanji, uh, where I spotlit not so much the director of the film, but the person involved in the creation of the actual monster uh, or monsters. Um, so I have here a pair of films, uh, that I believe, um, one of them is directed by the special effects technician and the other one is directed by one of the choreographers, I think. Uh, so these are movies that are of okay quality, depending on how you look at them, but very special to me for a variety of reasons. So I have here a German Blu-ray. Uh, that does function on a Region A player of uh, The Giver, uh, a.k.a. Mutronics, uh, if you're from outside the United States. Uh, Uncut und HD remastered. (laughs) Um, So the reason I have this is because uh, there there are like two seconds of additional violence in this version of the film. Uh, Funny enough, like our... Are representative of the version of the film that I've traditionally known and viewed over the years, um, but for some reason it's not especially like available in our region, Brad. Hmm. Uh, very really? odd uh, because I do have distinct memories of seeing it like on television or like on VHS. I think featuring the additional couple of seconds of violence. It's not even that graphic either. It's just for some reason there's multiple cuts of this fucking film. Uh, but in addition to that, I also have on DVD uh, from New Line, uh, The Giver 2, uh, which actually um, has a subtitle that's not featured on the cover for some reason, uh, Giver 2 Dark Hero. Um, so the, the reputation in both of these movies is kind of all over the place. But um, this one, I believe, was directed. Uh, this is the first one. I believe this is directed by Screaming Mad George. Um, who is a famed uh, makeup effects technician. Uh, He's done some amazing work over the years, Uh, probably to mainstream audiences, probably best known for doing uh, some of the more gruesome, like insectoid effects in, uh, was it Nightmare on Elm Street 4? That's the the Roach Hotel effect. Um, Mm -hmm. Wonderful, wonderful effects person. Uh, Has a particular fascination with insects and goop. So much KY jelly, so much jelly, so goopy. Um, I believe he directed this film. And of course, his uh, talents are on full display in the form of uh, the numerous uh, monster costumes featured in this, the Zoonoids and the uh, the Giver character in this, uh, as well as, a, a, I don't know if he designed it himself, but there is a large scale uh, animatronic puppet uh, featured in the finale of the movie as well. Um, 
and I believe he was also involved in the make of effects technology in Guyver 2 as well. Um, but he did not direct this one. This is directed by Steve Wang. And uh, the major difference between these movies is that uh, Guyver is very, very campy, uh, very, very, very silly, um, occasionally violent, um, but the action choreography is kind of bleh. But the, uh, as you would expect from a film directed by a makeup effects person, uh, the showcase of the uh, costuming and the monster designs is impeccable. Uh, a lot of amazing transformation effects in particular, uh, extended like transformation sequences, kind of the pride and joy of many, many uh, uh, horror makeup effects people out there. Um, whereas the second movie issues some of the more intricate uh, makeup effects uh, in favor of protracted like martial arts sequences that are of impeccable quality. Um, also, the violence factor in this film is dialed up to 11 and beyond. Um, there is an there is an unbelievable overkill sequence in this where they you know, in the Simpsons they have that joke he will he'll kill you five times before you hit the ground <laughs> yeah five or six times before you hit the ground and it's like he killed that man until he died from it <laughs> um, but yeah these movies are of as I said not they all have liabilities like Guyver two is overlong. And overly talky. It does feature brownie points in the form of David Hayter uh, being the the main actor from this, aka the English speaking voice of a uh, Solid Snake uh, from the Metal Gear Solid video games, as well as the screenwriter for Scorpion King and X Men, I think. Um, and the Guyver, the tone is just you really got to be on board for the camp factor. Um, and there's a lot of cringe ass humor in this uh, that makes it a difficult watch even for me. Um, but the monster effects are pretty fucking cool. Um, the tone does bother me at times, though, because it does. It feels it came out before Power Rangers came out in our region, but it's that vibe. Um, even though they're like the lighting style um, and some of the like the production design points to it being like a darker and more menacing film, the dialogue and the behavior of the people in the monster costumes just doesn't really allow you to indulge that aspect of it. There is like a, like a, a walk down a creepy hallway. That's kind of evocative of uh, the later film, uh, alien resurrection, where it's the, the Ripley, like the failed Ripley room, mm, which is a mm -hmm. truly horrifying sequence. Like that, that's very uncomfortable. There is a sequence in this film. That's kind of like that. That just feels very out of place because of how goofy the rest of the thing was. So it's a very uneven experience, um, and it does need to be said. Uh, the reason why these movies are so special to me is it's like the first manga I was ever introduced to. Uh, my cousin in Hawaii um, was collecting the manga when I was a very young kid, and uh, he showed it to me, and I was like, this comic book is so goddamn violent. <laughs> like, John, do you realize how bloody this comic is? And he's like, yeah, it's cool, isn't it? And I was like, yes, this is probably the coolest thing I've ever read. <laughs> In my entire life up to this point, I need more. Oh, wait, they made some live action American films of that comic injected into my veins. And then you yeah. watch it and you're like, I'll go back to my comic. <laughs> <laughs> but then eventually I saw the second movie and I was like, OK, they, they got the punching in this one. They got the they got the gore and they got the punching right in this one. Whereas that first one was why do they keep making jokes? <laughs> it's, like, it's like, why, why is the dino mite guy in this movie? And why does he say dino mite as a monster in the movie? 
Um, anyway, that's that's the guy, which I've talked at Brad probably three or four times uh, in the history of the show. So I apologize for that, Brad. No, I mean, I just because I, I feel like I only know this movie because uh, of you. Um, was this movie like. Like, did it have because they made two of them? Was the first one a success or what? Like, I have to assume I feel like you're pulling my success. leg and this isn't real. <laughs> I have to assume it had like modest success. Yeah, um, you need to remember too that international, uh, international audience probably played a factor in that success. I don't mm-hmm. expect it did amazingly well in our region in the US, but there was a push for the Giver. Um, there were VHS tapes released of the OVA uh, anime series uh, from the very early 90s that you could buy uh, at like Suncoast and stuff for $50 a fucking tape. Um, uh, so there, there was like a marketing push to make the Giver a thing in, in our region in the early 90s. Um, it did receive an international release. It has a built-in Japanese audience because of the origins of the property. So there you go. You have probably some sales over there. That's a German Blu-ray. Um, I know it did have a release in that region. So it probably did. It probably made its money back around the world. Um, but the other factor that's really important to emphasize is New Line, um, who of course also distributed the Ninja Turtles uh, films. And when you think about what these movies are, men in rubber monster suits with an element of humor and color to them, stands to reason that some executive at New Line, probably Bob Shea, was like, oh, the kids like rubber monster movies. Let's put some guys in some rubber suits and have them do some breakdancing because the kids like breakdancing, right? I should be in the movie. (laughs) I should have five scenes in the movie, right? (laughs) Right, Wes Craven? (laughs) (laughs) Make sure Lin Shay's in there too. <laughs> like find room for Lin Shay. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I have to assume that somebody was reading the lay of the land and saying, you know what's kind of hot right now? Those Ninja Turtles. We should do some more turtle shit. Um, but we should probably stop at Ninja Turtles three because <laughs> because yeah, nobody likes that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean. Makes sense. Uh, I can see around that time with everything else coming out, how uh, the Giver could get a sequel. Yeah, it, it's it's goopy. It I don't think it features any form of ooze, but like Nickelodeon had a lot of ooze. Uh, we, we had a lot of men in rubber monster costumes, like doing goofy shit on film. It's just, you know, it's just synergy. Some Somebody thought, hey, the kids like this, maybe they'll like this. Probably not to the same extent, though. So it didn't exactly work out, but it is what it is. Um, anyway, uh, that's enough about the Giver. Uh, Brad, uh, what is your last uh, monster movie pick for today? Oh, well, I already talked about rats, so let's not do that one. Um, you got more rat movies? I do have another rat movie. I'll, is it ben I'll save that. Or Willard? Uh, no, not, not, uh, what, did you say Willard? Yeah. Not Willard. Not Willard. Is it Ben? I think it was. I think it was a rat. Is it um, food of anyway. the gods? No, 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 no. I'll save it for my my speed round. I'll save it for the speed round. Um, this one, I guess. Uh, this is, I guess, this is maybe another one that could be. Is it a monster? Or what is it? Because it's in a, it's a bit in a supernatural zone. But I think you can still consider it a monster. Um, 
and that is the the creature or the the entity, the shape shifting entity from It Follows. It follows. Um, of course, the concept with this one is it is like a uh, supernatural sexually transmitted disease where if somebody is infected by this creature and then you have sex with that person, the creature will always be following you. It will always be hunting you. It can change what it looks like. Uh, often looks like a uh, person, but it can look like anybody, somebody you know, somebody else, um, but it will always be walking towards you. Um, and it's been a while since I've seen it. I don't think they ever give like a uh, explanation for like, if it's supernatural or if it's an actual, like, you know, flesh and blood creature. I, I don't totally remember that, but I'm counting it as a monster. Um, because, uh, from what I remember, it does, it does kill. Um, there, there is a couple, uh, graphic, uh, aftermath of bodies in this uh, film. And uh, I really like this movie. Love the score. Very John Carpenter inspired the whole film. Um, but the, the movie is directed by David Robert Mitchell. I like this guy. I maybe have a soft spot for him because he is from my state of Michigan. And both this movie and um, his debut feature, uh, which is something, the myth of the American sleepover, I want to say. Both of those do take place uh, kind of around Metro Detroit. Uh, so I always have a soft spot for movies that take place in Michigan. Um, and uh, actually, I, I won't say who because I don't want to, you know, give too much info away to where people live. But uh, one of my buddies uh, said, like, yeah, this movie takes place like he was like watching this movie. And he's like, yeah, I drive past that every day going to work like that. Boom, boom. So uh, very cool. And I love the concept. Um, and just really well made, well directed, creepy horror film. Uh, and also like the, the subtext of the the sexually transmitted disease, I think, is great. And you can pull a lot out of that. But even if you just disregard that, I think it works as a great monster movie um, on its own, which is uh, is good. I, I would rather have something, you know, work with on its own and with the subtext rather than it just being all subtext and the monster stuff sort of falls apart. Like a, an example I can think of is the Babadook, which uh, is a good film. I like the Babadook, but like once you kind of realize that, Oh, this is all kind of just a metaphor. You kind of like the, the way that the movie ends, it's like, mm, this doesn't really make any like literal sense. You know what I mean? Like it, which I'm fine with, but it's like, if you were just watching this, like as somebody who has no, concept of like themes or subtext if you were just watching that movie as a monster movie you that you would get to the ending and you would be like this is just stupid like what that makes no but like knowing that the movie is not a really a, about the monster it's like okay yeah i get how that ending makes sense but anyway i don't mean to rail on the babadook which i have over my uh shoulder over here but uh it follows is uh awesome and it's it's been a while since i've seen it um, and I should probably get this Best Buy sticker peeled off of here. Didn't realize that was still on there. Yeah, you better bust out the goo gone. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen that one, um, but it's on my it's been on my watch list since I heard about it, because uh, just on a conceptual level, that's that's a killer idea. Like mm -hmm. that, that sounds infinitely compelling. 
Um, and just the from what little I know about it, the the nature of of the creature, whatever whatever the entity may be, the way it manifests and how it's it's never in a hurry, but it's always there. Yeah, that's a particular type of dread that 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 breeds. It's like it, it's never going to be sprinting towards you, but it's, it's just a, it's just always going to be hanging out there. And so you, you always have to be vigilant. Um, so it's I, I feel like if they if they nail that aspect of it, it'd be a really unnerving watch. Yeah, they, uh, may, maybe the reason I grabbed this is because I saw somebody online post like a would you rather type query and they were like, would you take a million dollars? But there is a snail who is always crawling towards you. And if the snail touches you, you die or something like that. Um, and uh, I was like, Oh, that's kind of like it follows. Yeah. I, I mean, that is a interesting question. Cause it's like, if you slip up at, at the wrong time, that's, that's it. Yeah. It's like, yeah. like that's all it takes. Um, I really want to see that movie. I have since I became aware of it and like, sounds like you really enjoyed it. Um, are there any like scenes you can highlight or like moments you can highlight without like completely spoiling it? Yeah. Well, the, the standout scare is, uh, there's a, a, a very tall man in a hallway that, uh, shows up behind somebody and it is a good, it is a good scare. It is a real solid, uh, not even really a jump scare. Like it is kind of a jump scare, but not like a cheap one. Like there's really like no loud music cue or anything. It's just like the, the, the the startling image of just this giant man all of a sudden appearing behind somebody is pretty creepy. Um, so that one and I the opening uh, is pretty awesome as well, um, which do, I mean, it's the first two minutes of the movie. It, we follow a character who we don't know and we never find out who they are, but it's just a woman who is just running through the streets in terror and, you know, watching the movie without knowing anything. It's like, what is she running from? And then uh, within a few minutes, we end up seeing her mangled corpse. Like we don't see any, we don't see what happens to her. It just cuts to the next morning and seeing her like, just, just like, just crazy uh, broken bones and everything. And so it's a pretty stellar way to kick off a movie. It's like, whoa, well, it's also kind of traditional too, where it's it's Brad has a poster of Jaws hanging over the back of his head. There, yeah. it's the it, it sets the tune. Mm -hmm. It it establishes, I guess, the risk factor. Um, very like first kills. Uh, there's there's two there's two kinds of first kills in particular in monster movies. There's the one that like like Jaws like establishes this is what's going to happen to people. But then there's the first one that happens in front of you, like, like explicitly that mm -hmm. demonstrates why you don't want that to happen to you. Yeah. Um, so the other example that comes to mind is uh, the, the ring um, where you get that first group of people where it's like, Oh, that's why the tape's bad. <laughs> it's like, now I know yeah. now I don't have to guess. Okay. This is bad. Let's, let's not fuck with that. Um, yep. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I definitely need to check that one out. Um, Got to find time for that one because I, I have been meaning to see it forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I like uh, David Robert Mitchell. He also his follow up was that Under the Silver Lake movie with Andrew Garfield, 
I heard that was great too. Yeah, it kind of bombed though, which was a bummer. But uh, I did enjoy it. Um, so I don't know what he's going to be able to do next, but uh, definitely, uh, I've liked everything he's done so far. Yeah, no, I I heard that was excellent. Um, mm-hmm. Also on my watch list. I'm not familiar with the director at all. But do you know if does he have anything in the pipe at the moment, or is not that, that it? I know of? I, I I was perusing his uh, um wikipedia page but yeah i don't see anything after under the silver lake at the moment yeah it's a shame yeah because yeah i've i mean you say it bombed um but as far as i understand critically uh, it's a pretty well-regarded film Mm -hmm. yeah yeah all right well uh i will give my last pick here it's not going to be amazing um but i uh i kind of shat the bed with my first pick there brad i almost had a cohesive theme uh spotlighting uh, effects technicians, uh, the people who make the monsters. Um, Orca kind of, fuck that, sorry. Because <laughs> I have no idea who did the effects for Orca, nor are they particularly amazing uh, by any means. But uh, I have here a disc uh, that I have considered uh, upgrading a time or two um, because I do believe, um, I want to say the same publisher uh, has put out an updated version of this, like uh, maybe from a different master or something. Um, I have here uh, Pumpkin Head uh, Collector's Edition. Um, I believe uh, Scream Factory, by the way, put out this disc. And I believe, uh, oh, hang on one sec, I'll flip it to Brad real quick. Boom. Oh, oh Brad with that slip cover. <laughs> Got that slip cover action. Um, I believe uh, Scream Factory has put out an additional like printing of this, like a different disc altogether uh, in recent years. Um, so I don't know if the picture quality is better on that one. I haven't actually checked, but I do remember seeing it pop up on the calendar and muttering son of a bitch, <laughs> because I actually don't think I bought this very long before that announcement. Um, I have a soft spot for pumpkin head. Uh, it seems to be again, a recurring theme among my picks, uh, not amazing films but films that i do have a particular appreciation for uh this was a movie that of all fucking things i saw this when i was uh on vacation in hawaii uh hanging out at my grandma's house like we had like a we had some downtime as tends to happen when we when we would stay at grandma's house and we went out to rent something and the two movies i remember watching most at grandma's house were deep blue sea uh, which surprisingly I don't own. I should own that based on the sheer number of times I've watched that fucking movie. Um, but we also, I was allowed to rent Pumpkinhead uh, when I was a kid because some some asshole at my school kept, he wouldn't shut the fuck up about Pumpkinhead 2, Blood Wings, which is not a good movie. It's vastly inferior to Pumpkinhead. I have but- that one too, but I haven't watched it. Oh, you haven't watched Pumpkinhead 2, Colin no, Blood I- Wings? I'm pretty sure it was uh, in like Shout Factory said it was they announced it was going out of print. So I snagged it um, just because I'm like, well, I got to have it. But I just haven't watched it yet. <laughs> uh, it's the pumpkin head effects are nowhere near as good as they are in this one. I don't know who did them uh, in that one. Um, and also the plot is strange. Like, like, it's not that it doesn't make sense or anything. It's just they do things with the character and with the mythology that are, I don't know, like they take things in a direction that's like, 
I don't know if I like that, man. Like I, I, I like my Pumpkinhead as he's represented here. And Pumpkinhead as a as a horror quote icon, I say that in very loose air quotes, has had a checkered past. Um, like not the best of reputation. Um, it really, it's just this movie, honestly. There's like four of them, I think, maybe even five. Uh, but the second one is Blood Wings. It was direct to video, did not get a theatrical release. And then I think there's two or maybe even three more that went direct to the sci-fi channel. And I think they got they roped Lance Henriksen in for some of them. He is the star of this film. Um, but they're just sad. They're not good. Like none of them are good. It's just this one. <laughs> like So like as a franchise horror character, they, they tried to make Pumpkinhead work and they probably shouldn't have. Because really, they only got it right once, and it's not even like they got. It's not even like they knocked Pumpkinhead out of the park. Um, the reason, and I've been talking around this the whole time here. The reason why I was so excited to see Pumpkinhead was not because uh, that asshole at school was telling me that there's a depacketation uh, in Pumpkinhead Two. He was pretty excited about that. Um, it was because my dad told me who Stan Winston was when I was like eight or nine years old or something and i started to like get obsessed with stan winston at a certain point so he was telling me that it's like you know the predator that's stan winston's work and and the dinosaurs in that jurassic park movie that you are not allowed to see right now <laughs> that's stan winston um and the terminator that's stan winston you're also not allowed to watch that yet <laughs> um and so like i hyped him up i, I was really 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 keen on Stan Winston and, you know, the alien queen and stuff. So this is his directorial debut. Um, and in addition to that, I believe uh, his team at the very least um, did the effects work and they're wonderful. Pumpkinhead is a, a beautifully realized monster on film. Um, he has a very unique silhouette. Um, he has wonderful presence. They know how to light him, which is a huge factor when it comes to these men in rubber monster suit uh, effects work. A wonderfully expressive character, not terribly like he doesn't have many layers to him. He's just a big, nasty thing with long fingers that really, really hates you. He just really wants to fuck your shit. <laughs> some decent kills, not amazing kills, but there's some decent kills. I do like when that guy gets poked with that rifle. That's pretty fun. This is like. He actually, Michael Myers, I think, maybe even bit off of him. I actually don't know who came first on that one, Brad. Uh, because Michael Myers pulls the same trick on somebody in, uh, was it Halloween 4, I think? I want to say 4. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it was 4, where it basically, if you don't know what I'm referencing here, folks, uh, basically you take a firearm, and instead of shooting somebody with it, you just kind of impale them with it. Um, Pumpkinhead does that, and it's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, this is a good old-fashioned, like, I don't know, vengeance via southern witch magic <laughs> and the the old uh, the old lady effects work in this uh, the way they light her and the way they are very selective with the angles that they show it's kind of like the prototypical like old crone effect mm -hmm. it's like beautifully portrayed in the film uh, it, it's instantly where my mind goes when i think of that particular archetype and uh of course lance henriksen always wonderful uh, he's he's having a good time with that southern accent um and it's not a terribly complex film. It's mostly just a slasher movie with a monster movie twist. Um, but some excellent work uh, in the special effects department. And 
pumpkin heads the 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 icon the little icon that couldn't um because the name alone is memorable the look is great nobody knows what to do with them, <laughs> which is kind of a shame but i stand by the first movie i think i think it's I think it's pretty good. I don't think it's a mm-hmm. classic or anything, but I do have a soft spot for it. Yeah, I really like the first pumpkin head. I mean, it just the creature, I think I think visually the film looks great. Yeah, it is overly simple, but I, I kind of like how just straightforward it is. You get some good creature effects, some good kills. Um, I'm, I'm game, and I think it's pretty short, too. It's like, isn't it like less than 90 minutes almost or something? I think you're right. Um struggling to find it with my shit 86 minutes so yeah See, un- under 90 that's this thing's uh, all killer no filler all right yeah uh, 86 minutes i could probably get kyle to watch that yeah. <laughs> i mean he probably wouldn't want to but you know i could i could try to swing that um but yeah that was pumpkin head um i think that's it for our uh, our proper picks uh for this may is for monsters uh version of tales from the shelf um, but as is customary, uh, dear listeners and hopefully uh, viewers, uh, we'll pr- we'll proceed into the speed round, uh, which is essentially where Brad and I uh, just kind of gloss over our runner-up picks. Uh, that is titles from our collections that we set aside for this discussion, uh, but just didn't have time to get into proper. So we're just kind of going to list them off real quick. But uh, Brad, would you like me to go first or are you? do you have your shit all queued up? Uh, I mean, if you can take it away. Yeah, if you want to go okay. first. Sure. Sounds good, bud. Uh, so uh, I'll give myself the single. Bam. Uh, so I have here an entire fucking stack. A stack of uh, Resident Evil. So I have mm. Degeneration on Blu-ray. I have uh, the live-action movies on Blu-ray. I have Damnation on Blu-ray. I don't know why I sound like Captain Crunch. Uh, I have uh, Vendetta on 4K 3-disc special edition. Don't know why there's three discs and why it comes in a giant fucking box. That really fucks with my shelving. Uh, I have Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City, a movie that Kyle has a weird appreciation for. Nobody likes this movie, Brad, but for some reason, Kyle, who is ultra critical of most of the films we review on Catching Up on Cinema, he loved this movie. He's into it. He's into it. I think it I think it gets the uh, the theater bump. Yeah, Uh, it may have been one of the only movies he saw during the the dark times of covid. Um, I saw that with him. Uh, in the theater i was only able to get into that theater uh because the girlfriend uh directed me to a cdc website where you could pull up a qr code of your vaccination records um because i did not have my cards on me Mm. and at that time it was the dark times brad Mm -hmm. you needed to have that in order to go in the theater so i had my ticket i was ready to meet kyle in that theater and i got turned away at the door and so I was sulking in the parking lot and the girlfriend was like scrambling on the internets and she found that that website. So she she got me in there to see that not very good movie. <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, Kyle really loves that movie for some reason. He really wanted to review it for the show. Uh, and I also have Resident Evil Infinite Darkness, which is a recent Netflix show, not the most recent, which I don't I don't think that movie's come out just yet, but it's called like 
Death Island or something shitty like that. Hmm. Uh, I will be watching that, though. I will buy that because I am that man. I will do that. Um, I have uh, Zeram and Zeram 2, uh, both from director Keita Amimiya, uh, who is a Japanese filmmaker who I, I'm going to lobby really hard uh, to do a spotlight month for uh, on Catching Up on Cinema. Um, I love the man's work. Uh, I can't quite explain why, because uh, in terms of, you know, people would understand without having access to my brain. But um, I really do want to devote like an entire month to his stuff. I have uh, the the Venom movies. I guess those count as monsters, maybe. Okay. Um, they do have a they do bear a resemblance to. Um, there, that's there's that funny connection with the Upgrade movie where uh, the fellow who looks like Tom Hardy but isn't Tom Hardy um, also has a voice in his head. Um, but on top of that, there's also that uh, 80s uh, like horror comedy, I guess, uh, Brain Damage. Um, mm, that's yeah. about like a little alien parasite guy that uh, wants to eat people and in exchange for like attaching himself to a dude, he gives him like a hallucinogenic drug. Um Kind of similar in some ways. Uh, I have Versus, which features zombies. Very loose monster film. I have Razorback, Razorback, uh, from Russell Mulcahy, um, Australian director who makes very handsome movies that are very hard to get engaged with, but they're nicely shot. <laughs> um, Wolf Cop 1 and 2, Wolf Cop Wolfpack. <laughs> very extraordinarily Canadian films. Uh, Screamers, Kyle didn't like this one. Uh, it didn't hold up on a rewatch. Uh, I got uh, the the shallows. Uh, you got uh, life, which you didn't care for, right? Wasn't crazy about it. Yeah, um, I could go on forever, baby. Uh, so I'm gonna cut it off here um, with just these last handfuls because I do have more set aside. But um, what I would have talked about instead of Orca, but it was it it was just too obvious a pick, so I hesitated. I should I should have gone the obvious pick. I should have gone obvi but goody is how you say it, Brad. Um, it's an obvi but a goody. I should have gone with John Carpenter's The Thing, just so I could talk about Rob Bottin, mm -hmm. uh, the wonderful makeup effects technician who worked on this film. Also uh, worked alongside Stan Winston, I believe. Um, Rob Bottin deserves a documentary if he doesn't have one already. That is a very fascinating individual because he was very young when he got started with that stuff and he was incredibly talented, but he like half killed himself making some of the effects for some of those movies. Uh, he, something about his work ethic, he just was possessed. Mm -hmm. Um, he also looked like a goddamn werewolf. Like, <laughs> like, like he was a giant woodsman with a giant fucking beard and mullet. Um, psycho Goreman comes up every episode. Uh, a lot of fun effects in that one. Uh, could be wrong. Maybe, maybe Screaming Mad George was involved with that. I don't know. Um, Project Wolf Hunting, not a monster movie proper, but it does feature. I mean, look at the cover. Like it features some sort of humanoid, subhumanoid. What's it doing? Violent things to people. Maybe I'll allow it. Uh, fuck. I did have a rat movie. I fucked up, Brad. I'm sorry. Of unknown origin. Oh yeah, yeah. You guys yeah. review or uh, did an episode on that, right? We did. We yeah. did. Uh, this is from director George P. Cosmatos, uh, who is not very talented, uh, although his son, uh, Panos Cosmatos, um, is wonderfully talented. Uh, George, 
everybody hates George. <laughs> Seriously, it's hard to find interviews about George that don't feature some form of negativity. Michael Bean in particular hates George. Mm. Um, that's that's a movie about Peter Weller uh, engaged in mortal combat uh, with a rat. Not a, not a giant rat. I mean, it's a big rat, but it's not like a monster rat. But it's about him completely destroying his own home. It's it's like a mouse hunt, yeah. um, but but serious. I love mouse hunt. Uh, how about you, Brad? Do you like I like mouse hunt? hunt. Yeah, I love it's gore. Mouse it's hunt. our buddy Gore. Gore Verbinski. That's right. The production design in that feels very gore, but I love mouse hunt. I, mm-hmm. I would I would love to do an episode on mouse hunt. <laughs> um, uh, the Meg, uh, which has a sequel due out soon. I really didn't. I really didn't like this very much. I did actually read the novel that this is based off of, though, <laughs> which is also not very good. What, what are we thinking on the the sequel trailer? Have you seen it? Yeah. That that that's very good director attached to that though, right? It's your boy. Well, he he used to be my boy. I don't know how I'd call him that anymore. But yeah, Ben Wheatley. Yeah, we um, we did a review of of Kill List. Kill List. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love Kill List. It's really probably the only thing from him I'd love. But um, we'll see. I think it looks okay. I think it looks okay. I his name carries. His name does carry weight with me. Um, Free Fire was good enough. Kill List was excellent. I'm, mm-hmm. I, thank, I have to thank you for like introducing that to me. Um, I don't know. Uh, it, I have tinfoil tin hat theories about that one that are... I'll just keep them to myself for now. I'll tell you off air, but something about it just rubbed me the wrong way. Anyway, yeah. uh, last one here was my other pick um, that would have played into brad's pick a little shop of horrors it's a plan you know mm-hmm. uh so yeah that's it for my speed round brad uh take it away sir yeah I, i've got more on my shelf that i didn't grab but these are just the other ones i grabbed um you know you got to go with the the universal monsters the classic monsters um and this isn't a classic universal uh flick but you know in that vein uh bram stoker's dracula which is probably my favorite uh, version of Dracula. Uh, I, you know, other than maybe a couple performances and a few slight miscastings, I, I think this is a awesome, awesome film. Love the effects in this. Um, a movie that I'm not going to say much about because I don't want to get into spoilers as it is still a fairly new movie. And it was my number one movie from last year. And that is Jordan Peele's Nope. And that's all I'll say because it's best to go into that one knowing as little as possible. Thank you for that, by the way, because I, I still haven't seen it, and I know yeah. you gave it a five out of five, correct? Oh, yeah. Five banger, number one movie of the year. I love Nope. It is. And it's a somewhat about making movies, too, right? There, There's a connection to filmmaking in it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, it, I, I need to pull the trigger on that one before someone on social media completely yeah. ruins it for me you, you should love this thing you love monster movies movies about making movies i mean come on yeah and and you gave it a five out of five and i i, I do trust your opinion on things so well, thank I, I, need, you. I need to i need to step on the gas with that one well you might not trust my opinion on this one although i haven't watched it since i was a kid um and it really is not much of a monster movie but it does feature monsters on the cover and that is ghoulies and ghoulies 2 double feature ghoulies the ultimate um, uh, false advertising, uh, and that you know, I, I've only seen the first Ghoulies, 
but they clearly were going on the gremlins train and featuring this guy on the cover. I was like, mom, we got to get ghoulies. We got to rent ghoulies. And, um, we rented ghoulies and these guys are in it for like two, two, two seconds. Like they're barely in it at all. It is a, uh, it's a, it's a big, big wet noodle. If you're looking to watch this as a kid, but it's one, I remember just, you know, the image of him coming out of the toilet was pretty iconic as a kid. And I, I do need to uh, revisit this as an adult, but I've heard they're not great. <laughs> um, I don't Have you seen either of these Trevor? Uh, no, yeah. no, I, I haven't. But um, very similar to your your previous pick, the graveyard shift. I, of course, remember the little green dude coming out of the toilet, out of that, yeah. out of that turlet. Like it, it jumps out at you. It grabs you. It, I miss that era of marketing where you, yeah. you had that's what you had to do to get. That's all you had to do to get some asshole to rent your movie is just put something crazy on the cover. Yeah. And he does come out of the toilet like it is in the movie, but it, the it's one shot. And that's basically it. It's um, it's not an entire franchise based around things coming out of the toilet to grab your asshole. No, 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 not well, at all. That is, they fucked up. They should they they should have leaned into that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's still time for a Ghoulies resurrected. Yeah. <laughs> ghoulies <laughs> return. Yeah, we, we could see a Ghoulies. Uh, re, yeah, re- reboot. Um, the other movie that I, I'm pretty sure it was a rat. I guess maybe I'm misremembering, but it's a vinegar syndrome release. This is that other rat movie. The seller the seller which maybe it's not like i don't know if they ever say it's a rat but it pretty much just looks like a giant rat and it's involving a oh that was kind of cool it caught the light there that was pretty cool yeah I um that. yeah there ooh, we go ooh. Um, <laughs> so yeah this is just a movie about uh a young boy and his parents move into this farmhouse in the middle of the texas nothingness and uh yeah there's a monster in his cellar and uh classic of nobody believes him um, and it's it's OK, like it's not great. But the effects are kind of fun. Uh, you got my boy, my boy, Patrick Kilpatrick in here. Hey, um, yeah, I love who, who he's only my boy because I love him in Scanner Cop, too. But uh, he's, he's he's good. He's got a good presence. He has a sterling reputation as being uh, goon number five in most action films. But occasionally he gets promoted to like lead goon mm-hmm. like in Undersea's too. He got to be the goon with the hat. And then in, uh, I think it's like Lock lock Up. Uh, I think it's a Van Damme movie. I think he got to be the lead goon in that one. Yeah. And, uh, funny enough, my uh, the girlfriend uh, is kind of obsessed with that show Chuck. Um, mm-hmm. She watched the hell out of it when it was airing. And occasionally it's like her comfort food show. I just happened to like walk in the room and there was an episode where he was like the monster of the week. And I was like, hey, it's Patrick Kilpatrick. <laughs> yeah, he's got a good look. He's just got like a you know, memorable like screen presence kind of thing. He does. He has a very good voice. He's got a mm-hmm. unique look. Uh, he's pretty big guy on top of that. He's yeah, very successful career as a character actor. Like we, we have nothing but love for Patrick Kilpatrick. And Scanner Cop 2 rocks. So he <laughs> gets a free pass because of that in my book. Um, him and uh, Brian Thompson, the two of them should have been a, a buddy cop duo or something. That would have been good. Yeah. Tough guys with hearts of gold. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the last thing I'll mention, I did just recently watch one of these. I have the Fly Collection, the Fly Collection from Scream Factory, which has all fl- the Fly movies, including The Fly, Return of the Fly, Curse of the Fly, and then the remake and the sequel to the remake. Um, and I. Uh, even though I own the fly collection, the only one I have seen is uh, the fly, the David Cronenberg one. 
Um, and I, I need to go and watch all these, especially I, I should watch the fly too. the, the sequel to the Cronenberg one. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah just n- n- haven't gotten around to it. I just haven't done it. Haven't done it. Huh? Um, I think I've seen the original and the remake and the sequel. Uh, yeah. none, none of the sequels to the original fly, but my, my dad was really high on the fly when I was a kid. He would say, they help me. <laughs> help yep. Yep. Like you would, say that and I would, I would be like i don't get it but it, it's funny um but i mean cronenberg a lot of people would point to that as being maybe his most mainstream appreciated film mm-hmm. very good reasons incredible incredible fucking film uh super intense and beautifully acted beautifully scored too is that howard shore oh yeah, yeah. oh he's he he scored the hell out of that movie um yeah. from like the opening scene it's like Okay, like I don't even know. Like when I was a kid, I didn't even know what to expect from that movie. But as soon as the score hits you in the opening credits, it's like I'm frightened and I don't know why. <laughs> it's like I, there's something bad's coming. Yeah, I mean Howard Shore and David Cronenberg, like yeah. them together, always a banger score. Like, um, yeah, I mean it, it's funny that with good reason everybody thinks of Howard Shore which is with Lord of the Rings. Yeah. But uh, I, I think he is, in my eyes, he's the Cronenberg guy. Even though his Lord of the Rings scores are great, I mean, just his his Cronenberg work is more up my alley. I would say. Yeah, it's probably sacrilege for me to say, but I'm I'm in the same camp. Um, mm-hmm. Kyle, uh, between he and I, he is he is the Tolkien guy. Um, he he loves the he loves the man's writing. Uh, he's read all that stuff like the Silmarillion and all not just Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit and stuff like he just likes Tolkien's writing. But on top mm-hmm. of that, he adores the Lord of the Rings films. Uh, he's really wanted us to do episodes on them at some point. Um, but for me, it's like. I just don't care that much. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's a lot, like, too. Just it, doing it, one of those is a lot. It's it's a lot, and and also they're so beloved that I would feel the need to do so much research to just try to make everybody happy who isn't me. Because mm-hmm. for me, it, it they're good movies. They're just not my movies. Like like they just don't speak to me. I guess on the same level. Uh, but yeah, when I think Howard Shore, I know that's the obvious thing, but I've only seen all of those movies exactly once a piece. And yes, they have beautiful scores, but the man also has a wonderful body of work, mm-hmm. uh, most of which I associate with Cronenberg. But yeah, the sequel, speaking of effects technicians, I want to say that was directed by one of the effects people. Um, I believe Chris Wallace, I want to say. Yeah. I believe you're right. Um, so, hey, we, we, we brought it full circle. It's, it's not a... It's definitely an inferior film. Like, definitely. Like the the fly is, is on a different level. Like the standard is in, impossibly high uh, to follow that movie up, but it is a direct sequel, um, so it does play. It does seamlessly join with that film. Um, the effects work are pretty good. I'm not a huge fan of the look of the fly in it. Um, it's a little too symmetrical, if you ask me, um, and the color palette of it seems odd to me. I just don't understand why they made that choice but the gore in that movie when it gets gory which is not always um is truly exceptional um you also get the voice of optimus primal as one of the bad guys Uh, so if you were a beast wars kid brad you can look forward to hearing optimus primal in the film okay Uh, he isn't he is an asshole in it 
Um, so Optimus Primal's an asshole in those. Um, and uh, Eric Stoltz wearing heavy makeup, as he tends to do in a lot of his fucking films. That, that's always funny to me. It's like, hey, it's Eric Stoltz. Let's put pounds of makeup on him. It's like, why? Yeah, he's used to it. <laughs> he doesn't like to be on camera. <laughs> worth mentioning, screenplay credits. You got two guys, I don't know their names, so we won't mention them. Mm. Not wasting my time. No, I'll say Jim and Ken Wheat. Don't know them, but screenplay also by Mick Garris and Frank Darabont. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I I mean, everybody loves Mick Garris. He doesn't make the best films, but he is one of the single most affable personalities on the Internet. Everybody loves Mick Garris and his wonderful hair. God damn, his hair is fabulous. (laughs) Has anybody posited that Frank Darabont and Mick Garris are the opposite of each other? Like, like literally, one has great hair, one is bald, one is kind of an asshole, one is super nice, (laughs) one makes really good movies, the other one doesn't. Like, they're literally like polar opposites of each other. (laughs) Like, yeah, I mean, maybe that's why they brought both of them in to do the writing, or like some producer was like reading the script and they're like. I'm sorry, Mick. This is just too nice. <laughs> it's like I need an asshole to touch the touch this the sucker up. Like I need an edge to this. It's like, yeah. hey, let's call Frank. He's an asshole. <laughs> he's talented, but he's an asshole. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Interesting. I never thought of it, but yeah, they're yeah. very complete observation there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the fly two. You should definitely give a watch. Although, yeah, I will do my civic duty. Uh, just in case one of your buddies uh, is listening and or watching this. Um, is it Matt, some stuff involving animals in that. I've heard. I, oh, yeah. yeah. It, they also had that in the first fly uh, with a baboon. Um, yeah. but the second one, doggo. So if you got problems with doggos and bad things happening to them on film, maybe don't watch the fly too. I'm going to text him right now. Say, would you like to review the fly too? <laughs> Yeah, Brad, that sounds like you. You're a, you're the Woody Woodpecker of podcasters. You're an uh, instigator. Yeah. Sorry. I swear I didn't know. I swear I didn't know. <laughs> oh, I totally didn't know. There's a dog. There's a whole subplot involving a fucking dog in this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so if anybody has any, quote, trigger warnings or anything involving uh, bad things happening to doggos, maybe don't watch The Fly 2. Just saying. I watch The Fly 2. But that's me. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, I suppose that's it uh, for me is for monsters here on Tales from the Shelf. Uh, so uh, before we go, uh, I will uh, allow Brad to take the stage uh, for a second. Uh, thank you, by the way, uh, for joining me today. Always enjoy talking with you, Brad. It's always great to to have you around to, to bounce ideas off of. It makes it so much more fun than to just talk at yourself with yourself (laughs) yeah well happy to be here okay well i'm glad to hear that but uh before we go brad uh would you care to let uh our listeners and hopefully viewers uh know where they can find you and your super awesome podcast yeah it's the cinema speak podcast so wherever you listen to podcasts you'll find us there itunes stitcher spotify uh we're on twitter at the cinema speak on instagram as cinema speak podcast and on youtube as cinema speak and uh, you can just find us on the web at cinemaspeak.libsyn.com. Nicely said. Uh, now comes the fun part where I get to poke you about your YouTube channel and ask, Hey, Brad, do you got any videos in the pipe? Well, 
you know, I don't have a video as of yet, but I uh, am maybe actively considering doing a video because uh, let me see if I got here. This uh, you mentioned this film noir, the dark side of cinema box set potentially doing a video of. And I will say I'm working through it. I have watched two of the five films, so we'll see the the issue is, will I actually watch all of these? And then the bigger issue is, will I actually record a video discussing them all? So there's big ask, but potentially in the works here, potentially. Well, Brad, never, never limit your options. Just remember that you can always pull an adaptation with that shit and make a video about struggling to make a video about that. True. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just do a bunch, just do a bunch of jump cuts of you, just like, oh my god, <laughs> like what have I gotten myself yeah. into? <laughs> okay, well, yeah, I, I look forward to that. If you end up finishing that or getting around to that. Um, so I'll keep my eyes out for that. But um, as for myself, um, if you'd like to catch up on any of our other catching up on cinema content, uh, you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, you can also find us on the social medias in the form of the Twitter at Catching Cinema, as well as the Instagram at Catching Up on Cinema. So feel free to hit me up at either of those. Uh, and the podcast is available on pretty much every platform you can imagine, including Bitcade. Uh, so fucking Google that shit. Uh, and also, if you wouldn't mind liking, sharing, and subscribing, uh, I feel like I'm contractually obligated to say that. So uh, maybe do that. Do me a solid and do that. Um, but that being said, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, and we will catch you next time. Bye.